Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. (laughs) Who needs sleep anyway? Good evening, you're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 7, Episode 3. I'm your host, Otis Jiley, and in this episode, I'll be performing four spine-chilling tales for you, all of them from author William Dolphin, about lurid legends, dastardly dreams, outdoor oddities, frightening rites, and rural wrongdoings. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first three terrifying tales. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. (laughs) First tale tonight, from William Dolphin, takes us to a small town in Vermont, where there might be more to a local legend than first meets the eye. Without further ado, I present to you The Pigman of Northfield. My family lived in Vermont for a number of years, in a small town called Northfield, south of Montpelier. There's a local legend in Northfield of a thing known as the Pigman. The story has multiple versions, as most do. 
but there are some parts that are always the same. Back in 1951, the night before Halloween, this 17-year-old kid named Sam Harris went out on his own with a basket of eggs to cause mischief. Nobody knows exactly what happened to him, just that he never came home and was never found. Years later, some high school kids were out drinking behind school one night during a dance when this thing came walking out of the woods on two human legs. It was naked, covered in white hair, and was wearing a hollowed-out pig's head like some grotesque mask. Naturally, the kids tore out of there and went and told people. Word spread, and some farmer admitted he'd seen a figure matching that description digging through the garbage one night. Some pigs had also gone missing recently. More sightings were made of the pig man, as it came to be known, but many times the claims were just kids wanting to get attention. Now, whether this thing is Sam Harris, or this thing ate Sam Harris, nobody in town knows for sure. But what they do know is that it isn't afraid of people, and it really likes to eat meat. There's a place just outside of Northfield known as the Devil's Wash Bowl, with a river and waterfalls and a number of caves. After more sightings of the pig man were made out by the washbowl, some people went investigating and found that one cave in particular was littered with animal bones, some of which belonged to pigs. It got around that they'd found the lair of the pig man, and it became popular for teens to go out to the devil's washbowl at night and try to catch a sight of him. My sister and a a couple of her friends went out to the Devil's Washbowl their senior year. They took sleeping bags and flashlights and all the gear you'd take to go camping. I wasn't there to give a first-hand account of what transpired. I was only eight at the time. I can only tell you that what was told to me. There were six or eight of them, depending on who you ask, all couples. They picked a number of caves, one for each pair. My sister and her boyfriend were in their cave. She was rolling out their sleeping bags, and he was trying to start a fire, when they heard some shouts and then screaming from one of the other caves. When they got there, the girl was curled up in a ball in the farthest corner of the cave, and her boyfriend was nowhere to be found. She told them that the pigman had come trudging into their cave, completely undaunted by their presence. The guy had started shouting at it, both to drive it away and to get the other's attention. The pig man casually picked up a large rock and struck the guy in the side of the head with it, knocking him unconscious. It picked him up, slung him over its shoulder, and shambled out of the cave just moments before the rest arrived. Nobody had seen it exit the cave, nor seen signs of it at all. They did find the rock lying on the cave floor with blood on it and bare footprints in some soft creek mud outside. The girls all drove into town and went straight to the police. The remaining boys, whether it was two or three of them, grabbed flashlights and makeshift weapons and scoured the woods around the area. The footprints disappeared at the edge of the road and they lost the trail there. Search parties were set up police and canine units, and a big coordinated effort including several other adjoining townships' police forces. A couple of days later, some articles of the guy's clothes were found by a search dog. They'd been left torn and scattered in an abandoned farmhouse a town over. The missing teen's photo was put up in the area, and one guy came forward. He said that he'd awakened the other night, to the sound of someone lurking outside his house. He checked out his kitchen window, and there was someone rummaging through the trash can by his garage. The person was only wearing a faded and ripped pair of jeans. When the man hit the porch light, the intruder had looked up, and it had looked just like the kid in the photo. The only difference was that his body was covered with white hair, and his eyes looked kind of hollow.
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. I hope you enjoyed The Pigman of Northfield, as written by William Dolphin and performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that first story, you can help support our featured author and enjoy dozens more of their terrifying tales by picking up a copy of their first fully illustrated short story collection entitled, Don't Look Away, 35 Terrifying Tales from the Darkest Corners, available now on Amazon.com. You can pick up a copy today at simplyscarypodcast.com slash dolphin, spelled D-A-L-P-H-I-N, like dolphin with an A instead of an O. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash D-A-L-P-H-I-N, Dolphin. And you'll be redirected to Amazon, where you can dig into the book today. As an Amazon associate, a portion of your purchase made using that URL is provided to us, as well as the author. You can also get more information about William and his work, or connect with him on Facebook.com slash William Dolphin, all one word, or at Twitter and Reddit under the username W-D-A-L-P-H-I-N. Thanks again for your support of this show and of tonight's featured author. Up next, we've got a second tale of terror for you, courtesy once again of William Dolphin. In it, we'll explore the dark side of dreams and discover what happens when the lines between our astral adventures and our real lives get blurred. Without further ado, I present to you, I Dreamed of Digging. I remember each dream quite vividly. They were the kind you have where everything seems so real that when you wake up, you struggle to differentiate between the waking world and the dream world. The first night I woke up, and the sun had already risen. I slid out of bed making sure not to wake my sleeping wife, Abigail, slipped into my shoes without bothering to tie the laces and went outside. It was no longer winter. Summer had come, and the trees were alive with green leaves. The air smelled fresh and warm. Still, without the sense that this was a dream, I walked around the house to the backyard. The peonies Abigail had planted along the fence were in bloom. I admired them for a moment, trying to figure out why I'd come outside to begin with. Looking for something? I looked up to see Travis Pollard, my neighbor, watching from his front yard with a smile. He was wearing a Hawaiian shirt and khaki shorts, and my brain finally accepted that it truly must be the beginning of summer. I don't know, I told him. His smile quickly faded. Your wife, he said grimly. My wife? He lifted a shovel over the fence and dropped it at my feet. Better get digging. 
confused, I picked up the shovel. Why? Travis nodded, indicating the yard behind me. Winter will be here soon. I looked at the soft green grass. But it's already winter. Nevertheless, I picked up the shovel and felt its handle, solid and firm in my hands. Looking back to the fence, Travis had disappeared. I was still standing there, holding the shovel, trying to make sense of his words when I woke gently from the dream. To my relief, Abigail lay beside me in bed. I could hear her soft breathing, but to erase my worries, I gently touched her, feeling her pulse. She was warm, so I snuggled up against her and drifted back to a dreamless sleep until my alarm woke me. I'd actually forgotten about the dream from the previous evening when I awoke to find the sun up again, warm and inviting. As before, I crept out of the bed, pulled on my shoes, and went outside. Travis was on his side of the fence, busying himself, when I returned to the backyard. I walked over to him in a haze, slowly recollecting what had happened the last time. He looked up as I approached and smiled at me. Looking for something? he asked. I stared at him as the words found their way onto my tongue. My wife? He nodded, his smile vanishing again. He tossed the shovel over the fence, narrowly missing, striking me with the handle. Better get digging. Winter will be here soon, I said. Robotically, I picked up the shovel and walked to the middle of the yard. I felt the earth yield as I dug in, pounding the tool into the ground with my foot and working free a clump of dirt. Within minutes, I dug a fairly small hole. I looked over to the fence, but once again, Travis was gone. I awoke to the real world peacefully, confused as to how I had gotten back into bed. My hands still felt like they had the shovel in them. As before, I rolled over and touched my wife, felt her presence, confirmed her heartbeat, and fell back asleep, pressed against her until my alarm went off. As you can imagine, this dream made me really worried. Was it a premonition? Was it something wrong with my wife? That morning I asked her if she had a doctor's appointment coming up. No, why? she replied. I was afraid she'd think I was silly for suggesting she schedule one, so I said, nothing. Outside, most of the snow was melted, but the ground was still crunchy and hard. Melted drifts had refrozen into slick piles of ice. I walked around the yard inspecting it, but nothing seemed to be out of the norm. I was spooking myself, that's all. The cream was just a dream. That's all any dream is. The following nights, the hole I had dug the night before remained growing ever wider as I went through the paces of repeating my performance. Travis would toss me his shovel, I would pick it up, and go to the middle of the yard where the hole was and dig it deeper and wider. Deep enough and wide enough to lie down in. Deep enough and wide enough to bury someone in. I could see the pattern, and it frightened me. Somewhere in that hole was Abigail, I'd gotten up, left her in bed, but now she was waiting for me to find her at the bottom of the hole. Days went by. Weeks. The hole got so big that I had to climb down into it. I'd always climb out and inspect it before the world seemed to fade into blackness, and I'd wake up to find myself beside Abigail in my bed, checking my hands and fingernails for signs of dirt. Every night I'd check on her, hug her to me, frightened for what the dreams meant. Finally, I, I couldn't take it anymore. As we sat eating breakfast, I opened up, confessing to her my fears. I told her of the dream, of the hole, and of Travis's words. I had no idea, she thought. Tonight, when we go to bed, I'll hold your hand. You'll feel me holding your hand when you go to sleep, and you'll know I'm still here in bed when you get up. 
We can try it. So we did. That night, I lay next to her, and she held my hand tightly. I was a little afraid that she'd fall asleep first, or that one of us would roll over, but I distinctly remember suddenly waking up and her hand was still in mine. The sun was shining through the bedroom window, reflecting off the shady dresser mirror. Abigail lay beside me, her skin glowing, and as I looked, she opened her eyes and smiled at me. I breathed a sigh of relief. It truly was summer. Winter was long gone, and the nightmares I'd been having months ago had fled as quickly as they'd come. We rose from bed, Abigail put on her robe, and I slipped into my shoes. Together we walked outside to enjoy the beautiful new morning. There in the backyard was the hole. Of course it was there. I had been digging it for weeks. It was deep and dark and still not finished. I still had to keep digging to find. I turned and looked. Abigail looked back at me. I'm still here, she said. Travis appeared by the fence. Looking for something? he asked. I don't know. I kept my eyes on Abigail. She smiled back and winked. What's with the pit? Travis nodded toward the hole. I looked down into the darkness. A glimmer of something shining struck my eye. I squinted, trying to discern what it was, but it was too dark. Abigail appeared beside me. What's down there? she inquired. I'll find out, I said, and rolled up my sleeves. Wait, Abigail grabbed my arm. I looked at her, and she looked at me, and I saw the concern in her eyes. We stick together, remember? We both go down. I nodded. Carefully, I helped her descend into the hole, holding her hands and making sure she didn't slip. Once she was in, I climbed down beside her. Kneeling in the dirt, I felt around, trying to find the glimmer I'd seen from above. But it was gone. Abigail crouched beside me, digging at the dirt with her hands. Do you see it? she asked. Not anymore. From above us, Travis called out. Need some help? Abigail looked at me. We could use the light. I nodded. Getting out of the hole was a chore, but with a jump... I managed to grab the upper edge and, after some struggle, hoisted myself out. Travis peeked over the fence, watching me brush myself off. In his hands was an electric lantern, which he passed to me as I approached. Thanks for your help, Travis, I told him. You forgot something, he said. His face darkened. I froze. Abigail. He shook his head. No, the alarm. The buzzing of my clock startled me awake, jolting me out of bed. It was the first time in almost a month that I had woken to it first, rather than on my own. I could feel my heart racing in my ribcage, and I pressed the heel of my hand into my chest to try to calm myself. After a moment, I switched off the clock and rolled over to check on my wife. She was gone. Her place in the bed was empty, though there was still the silhouette of her form pressed into the mattress. Had she gotten up before me? I rose, checked the bathroom, then went downstairs and looked for her in the living room and the kitchen. The house was empty. Abigail was gone. My head was swirling with confusion and panic. She was with me when I fell asleep. Where had I seen her last? What month was it? I looked out the window at the cold, bitter morning. The horizon was still only pink from the rising sun. The air was cold enough that cars passing by left a trail of exhaust. Pulling on my coat and shoes, I trudged outside and hurried around the back of the house. The backyard was empty. No hole in the hard, frozen ground. Kneeling down, I felt the ground with my hand. The grass still covered everything, no spot where a hole had been dug. I was still there, panicking and confused, when my neighbor Travis came out to get his newspaper. He saw me crouching in the backyard, eyes full of fear, and came over. 
Looking for something? he asked. I stared at him, trembling. Can I borrow your shovel? This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I hope you enjoyed I Dreamed of Digging by author William Dolphin as performed by yours truly. Up next, we've got a third dose of darkness for you, once again from Mr. Dolphin. In it, our protagonist recalls a multi-day trip three decades ago with a Boy Scout troop destined to ruin camping for them forever. Without further ado, I present to you The Cross by the Railroad Tracks. I saw something back in 1990 that has haunted me ever since. We were a Boy Scout troop of 16 boys between the ages of 13 and 17, going on a two-day hike along a trail that ran 60 miles from Richmond to Marion in Indiana. Three adults supervised us the entire way. They gathered us up on the north side of town one Friday after school in late September, checked our supplies and gear, then off we marched. Most of the journey that evening followed an old abandoned railroad track through farmer's fields. We managed to reach a small bit of forested area just before it got dark and we pitched tents there, gathered wood for a fire and had our meals. After we ate, the grown-ups got out a couple of bags of marshmallows to roast and we all sat around a fire where people had a chance to tell ghost stories. Many of the tales were the classic urban legends, like one about a woman who stopped at a gas station and found out she had a serial killer hiding in her back seat, and one about two kids who parked somewhere late at night and only just barely escaped a mental patient with a hook for a hand. But for his third and final story, the troop leader told us all to get up and follow him. We left the safety of the fire, and hiked up the ridge to where the railroad tracks were. He pointed down the line a ways, and we all saw something white in the distance. It was a cross set in the ground just to the side of the track. See that cross, he said. That marks the spot where Jack Hobbs died. Who was Jack Hobbs? Someone asked. This line used to connect Cincinnati to Chicago. But legend has it that back in 1909, an eastbound train from Chicago missed a switch point and ended up running head-on into a westbound train up near Muncie. Twelve people died, dozens were injured. For years after that, farmers all up and down the line started complaining of hearing a train's whistle blowing in the middle of the night. But there were never any trains supposed to be going through, at the times, they claimed they heard them. Pretty soon, rumor spread that what they were hearing was a ghost train, carrying the souls of those twelve dead people, never getting to their destination, damned forever to ride the rails until the end of time. He paused, and we all stood silently, listening for the sound of a train. Being a skeptic, I expected one of the other adults to sneak up behind us with something, but there was nothing but crickets and wind. After about a minute of unnerving silence, he continued. People started trekking out here from all over the place, 
to try to catch a glimpse of the ghost train. One of those people was a guy by the name of Jack Hobbs. He was some sort of paranormal expert out of New York. He followed the tracks kind of like we're doing. So, as the story goes, Jack Hobbs was following the track, carrying all manner of ghost-catching equipment, when all of a sudden he saw a light come out of nowhere ahead of him on the track, and he heard a train's whistle in the air. A ghost train, he thought. I've actually seen the ghost train. He stood there in awe as the light grew brighter, and the whistle from the train grew louder. Just as he heard the screech of metal as the brakes were hit, he realized too late that he was standing in the path of a very real, very powerful locomotive. The troop leader went quiet again, and almost exactly when he did, a loud train whistle screamed directly behind us, causing us all to jump. As I had expected earlier, one of the other grown-ups had sneaked up behind us to finish the story with a good scare. After we had settled down, we went back to the campsite and got ready to go to sleep. I was partnered with a kid named Sant, who turned out to be a heavy sleeper as well as a loud snore. I wasn't used to having to share space with someone else, and the story of the ghost train had left me somewhat unnerved, so I found it hard to fall asleep. Then the adults went to bed, putting out the fire and everything was pitch black and the air was filled with animal noises, and there was no way I was going to get any Z's. I was lying there in my sleeping bag, listening to Sant snore, looking out toward the slope up to the track, when all the hooting owls and chirping crickets and chittering squirrels suddenly went dead quiet. Sant snorted once, rolled over, and stopped snoring. Everything was absolutely silent, and when everything goes silent all of a sudden, my ears try to make up for the lack of sensory input by introducing this never-ending high-pitched sound. Even putting my hands over my ears couldn't drown it out because it was inside my head. When I gave up and uncovered my ears, I heard something else. I wasn't sure what to make of it at first. It was very faint. It was coming from somewhere south down the tracks. Shh! Clop! Clop! Something was moving, I realized. Something shifting rocks and leaves as it slowly crept along. I tried to make out where it was coming from, but it was too dark to see anything. An unexplainable cold crept into my sleeping bag, and I started shivering despite several layers of clothing, and an additional blanket for warmth. I realized that the cold wasn't really there. It was just my body trying to explain why I was shaking so fiercely. The truth was I was scared out of my mind, and this was what fear felt like. The moon came out from behind the clouds in the area up by the train tracks, got bathed in its blue light. I stared, straining to make out what was making the sound, but... There was nothing visible, just the slow, methodical sound. Shh-clop, clop. Shh-clop, clop. I lay there in my bag and prayed someone, someone else would wake up. A few seconds later, over the ridge, I saw something move. It seemed to rise a couple of inches with each repetition of the sound. Shh! Clop! Clop! And then back down. It was moving along the train tracks, coming down the line toward the camp, shambling slowly. As it approached, the moonlight made it easier to see. I could distinctly make out someone's head and shoulders. He was marching slowly, eerily along. I thought he must have been walking alongside the rails, on the other side of the slope, but after a minute of his steady gait, he came alongside our camp, and I saw with grim horror what it really was. It was a torso, just the upper half of a man. God is my witness. It was half a person, pulling itself along on its elbows, dragging itself down the railroad track in the direction 
of that cross we'd been shown. It was barely ten yards away from me, and the light wasn't that good, but I could make out its ragged, mangled features. Its head was badly mutilated. Hair was missing in clumps. The ear that should have been visible on the side facing me was gone, and there was a deformity to its skull that made it look like a cracked egg. Its arms were bare. The shirt it wore was ragged and torn from what looked like years of dragging itself on its elbows. Every now and then it hefted itself up onto its hands with a low groan. And I could see sickening bits of its insides hanging out the ripped lower half of its abdomen. Clop! Clop! It dropped back down onto its elbows. This thing, this unfathomable wreck of a person, didn't seem to notice our camp. And I lay there shivering in my sleeping bag, praying each second that it would not look my way. Please, God, wake me up. Please, God Almighty, make it go away. It had to be a dream, I thought. This can't exist. Then I heard it speak. Where are they? It was mumbling to itself. Where are they? It just said that over and over as it dragged on down the track and behind some trees out of my sight. I wanted to breathe a sigh of relief, but my heart was still racing, and the air seemed trapped in my chest. I wish I could say that was the end of it. I wish I could say that I passed out, woke up the next morning, and told everybody my story, and they all laughed at me. And to this day, I'll never know if what I saw was real. But Sant woke up. He woke up with a loud snort, rolled over, and not seeing me, fumbled out of his sleeping bag and got up. Sant, I whispered. Sant! But Sant groggily walked past a line of tents and started up the hill to the railroad tracks. I lay there, watching him go, wondering if maybe I'd been dreaming after all and now, only now, was waking up. Or maybe this thing, this ghost, only showed itself to me to mock my fear, to wave my disbelief in my face. See, we do exist. Sant went past the tracks and down the other side to the point. All I could see was his shoulders and head. From there, he looked much like the shambling thing it looked when I first saw it, and again I was stricken with doubt. I could hear him sigh and the sound of piss hitting the ground. Then I heard, shh, clop, 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 clop. Before I could even scream, I saw it. The thing, the half a man, moving at a frightening speed on its hands. It destroyed lower half roughly, flying, flying across the ground as it moved. It made the distance from the edge of the trees to where Sant stood in a matter of seconds. And just as it got there, it screamed, Where are they? Sant never made a noise. It reached him before he could even look, and the piddling of his urination disappeared in the same instant he did. There was a sound I can't even begin to describe. Then another, like someone was tearing open a burlap sack of potatoes. Finally, a wet splash followed by something heavy hitting the ground and tumbling down the hill. By then, I didn't need to scream. The moment the thing yelled, several people woke up. Nobody seemed to see where the noise had come from, but they shouted in surprise, and their shouting woke up others. And in less than a minute, the whole troop was awake and trying to find their flashlights. Finally, I unfroze, and I started screaming, Sant! Sant! It got Sant! Trashing about in my sleeping bag, trying to get my hands free in order to point. Everybody stay here. Get a fire going troop leader yelled. He and one of the other adults ran up the hill to the tracks and started searching around with their flashlights. 
Other kids were asking me, was it sad? What got sad? And I realized I didn't know what to tell them. Half a man? A ghost? What the hell was I supposed to tell them I saw? So I just went, did what any 13-year-old would do. Jack Hobbs. It was Jack Hobbs. He was cut in half by the train and crawling on his elbows. Yeah, that went over well with everybody, of course. We heard the other guy that had gone up to the rise with the troop leader suddenly shout, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph! And there was a mad scramble as everybody tried to run up to the tracks to see what had happened. The troop leader caught us before the top, red-faced and eyes bulging and started yelling, Everybody get back! Everybody get back! Get back to the fire! There might be a bear nearby. A bear? Somebody asked. Gather up your gear, the third grown-up ordered. The second adult returned, wiping at his forehead and looking paler than I'd ever seen anyone look before. The three of them held a little meeting together away from the rest of us, while we all huddled around a newly made fire, and I was bombarded with questions about what I had seen. I tried to describe it, but it seemed so surreal that it was almost like waking from a dream where bits and pieces of memory fade before you can describe them. I realized that the more I spent trying to describe it, the more insane I sounded. It was decided that the troop leader and the third grown-up would stay put while the kids were marched to the nearest farm to find a phone and call the police and their parents. Fifteen boys between the ages of thirteen and seventeen, numb with fear and horror, guided by a single adult through the dark night along the abandoned railroad tracks until we hit a cornfield and marched nervously and cautiously through tall stalks of corn, trying to keep tabs on each other. The rest of that night was a blur. I barely remembered the details of the farmhouse we waited at, the folks who let us come in and use their phone. I don't remember most of Saturday, either. I remember my parents picked me up before the sun was up, and I remember talking to a police officer in a uniform about my version of events. I remember drinking a glass of milk and feeling like my stomach was churning. But the timeline of what happened when is jumbled. The official conclusion was that Sant had been mauled by a bear, literally torn in half by it. I didn't get the gritty details, but I've never really wanted them. Honestly, I barely knew him, having only first met him at a troop meeting three weeks prior to the hike. I quickly refused to talk about what I had seen. I told too many kids that night that I'd ended up going to school with. Before I even had a chance to really make any friends, I'd become known as the weird kid who saw the bear that killed Sand and thought it was a ghost. One guy even accused me of being directly responsible for his death. He might have been right. I know what I saw, though. There was no bear. I don't like going camping anymore, for obvious reasons. I've tried it, but the few times I managed to handle it, long enough to fall asleep, I hear that sound in my dreams. Shh! Clop! Clop! And I inevitably wake up, screaming. I hope you enjoyed The Cross by the Railroad Tracks by author William Dolphin, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed the tales you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured author has an amazing fully illustrated book for sale featuring 35 terrifying tales with artwork from the exceptional Emily Holt and David Romero. You can help support William by picking up a copy of don't Look Away, 35 Terrifying Tales from the Darkest Corners, available now on Amazon.com. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash 
Dolphin, spelled D-A-L-P-H-I-N, like dolphin with an A instead of an O. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash D-A-L-P-H-I-N, Dolphin. If you check out the book and enjoy it, please leave the author a quality review and a kind word, and be sure to let him know you heard about him here on this program. It would mean a lot to both of us. Thanks again for your support of this show and of tonight's featured author, Don't forget to follow him on Facebook, Twitter, and Reddit to see more of his work and keep up with his latest releases. Now, I'd also like to thank you personally for joining me for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest episodes and updates and new releases, and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well, at the Otis Gyrie channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram too. Just search for Otis Gyrie. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, the Otis Jiry channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at Otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button 
to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.